Welcome to Road to Equity, a student-made podcast exploring equity, diversity, and inclusion in the Ontario Tech University community. Each episode, we'll feature someone who is a part of our university's community to cover a topic personally relevant to them and share their experiences. As the listener, we hope you can take away some insight into their life and understand what challenges are presented to your fellow Ridgebacks. Together, we can create the paths leading to change and head down the road to equity. Welcome to Road to Equity. Before we begin, we're going to take some time to make a land acknowledgement and address Canada's history of colonization and the treatment of Indigenous peoples of Canada. Ontario Tech University acknowledges the lands and people of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation, and we are thankful to be welcome on these lands in friendship. The lands we are situated on are covered by the Williams Treaties and are the traditional territory of the Mississaugas, a branch of the greater Anishinaabeg Nation, which includes Algonquin, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi. These lands remain home to many Indigenous nations and peoples. We also acknowledge all treaty peoples, including those who came here as settlers, as migrants either in this generation or in generations past, and those of us who came here involuntarily, particularly forcibly displanted Africans brought here as a result of the transatlantic slave slavery. Today, I also pay tribute to those ancestors of African origin and descent. We acknowledge the land out of respect for the Indigenous nations who cared for and continue to care for Turtle Island, what we call North America, far before the arrival of settler peoples. But most importantly, because we acknowledge that the history of these lands has been tainted by poor treatment of and a lack of friendship with the First Nations who call this island home. This history is something we are all affected by. We are all treaty people in Canada and we all have a shared history to reflect on. Although each of us is affected by that history in different ways. Our past defines our present, but if we move forward as allies and friends with Indigenous peoples, then it does not have to define our future. Chimigwech. Good morning and welcome to Road to Equity. My name is Mitchell Ng. I am a fourth year life sciences student at Ontario Tech University, and I'm your host for today's episode of Road to Equity. Welcome to our guest, Angelique Dack, a political communications student at Ontario Tech who's minoring in criminology and justice. So welcome, Angelique. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's very it's very good to have you on. I, I think this is one of the first times that we've properly had the opportunity to to speak. So how are you? How has your your winter break and your holidays been? very busy. Um, there's a lot of things to do and get done during this time off, uh, but I'm happy to add the podcast onto that ever, ever growing to-do list. <laughs> of course. Well, again, it is, is good to have you on. So can you please introduce yourself to um, your listeners? Talk um, Again, they have your name and a little bit about your academic background, but could you also give your pronouns, your current involvement with equity at the university and anything else? Yeah, definitely. Um, so currently I'm a third year political communication student. As we said prior, uh, I use she and her pronouns. Um, at the university, I currently um, work with student engagement and equity as a programs assistant, which is amazing. Um, I'm also uh, equity advocate under the health equity um, and food insecurity group. Very cool. And to provide some clarification or in a in a, an addition to my earlier introduction, I use he, him pronouns. 
So Angelique, can you tell me a little bit about how you um, got into this position? Because it sounds like you are right in the, the heart of ambassador involvement, being part of the equity team. Um, so one of the ways that we do recruitment for student, uh, student leadership is a kind of a round table, of all these different positions that you can do within student life. Um, so I saw one listed that I had no clue about, which was equity advocates. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sign up um, and go through the interview process and learn more about this position. And I found myself instantly falling in love with the premise of um, being student leaders on campus that focus on equity and making sure that each student is able to engage with the university at the same level that I have had the privilege to. Um, and so from there, uh, we created the health equity group as these groups are designed by the equity advocates each year to have to do with our interest relating to equity. Um, so I brought forth to the group that I want to do something uh, to help the homeless population in Oshawa. And that kind of stemmed into uh, food insecurity and health equity. As we know, uh, those are two huge issues that our homeless population does face in Oshawa. Um, and I found that other equity advocates had the same interests as me. So we, we built a team around it. Hmm. Very cool. Now, from being in this position, you've talked a little bit about how it is something that personally you really cared about. Is this something that you've done before or something that's similar to anything you've done in the past? Or is this totally uncharted territory for you? I've been the... Um, the program's assistant for uh, student engagement and equity for the last few for the last two semesters. Um, so that was kind of a little bit of an introduction into the idea of equity. Um, being a social science student, we do discuss a little bit about it in class, but this is kind of putting those theories to application and actually using what I learned, um, which is amazing since intersectional feminism is kind of my a huge interest point for me. Um, and I was able to apply the things that I learned to a position like this. So I felt ready at first, um, but I haven't actually had any, uh, any way to apply my knowledge as I have with equity advocates. Hmm. Was there anything that surprised you about the, the translation from ideas from the page into maybe your, your physical environment, something that maybe you didn't expect when you started, like you said, um, entering the application side of things? Two huge things. Uh, first is how to get students actually interested in these topics as we don't talk about them quite often. And they are very, uh, very heavy topics to talk about. It's not something that you want to discuss with others that you're facing food insecurity. Mm. Um, and so it's harder to get those students engaged in topics like these. And then secondly, how to make the resources and things that we're doing accessible for all students, because uh, there's students that don't can't attend a workshop either physically or virtually due to their circumstances, or they don't have time because they're working multiple jobs, or even the workshop itself isn't accessible enough. Um, and we have to make sure that there's there's captioning and there's alternative ways of viewing the workshop in order for everyone to be able to access it. So that in itself was the hardest part for me as somebody in the group is making, there's no way to make resources 100% uh, 
accessible, but yeah. I still want to make the attempt to. Right. It sounds like you're really in touch with the, the fact that being in this position, it gives you a really great opportunity to, to reach people, but at the same time, there is this sensitivity required and there's um there's a responsibility to make sure that you are you're, you're being careful in the way that you address certain topics because it doesn't have the same it doesn't necessarily have the same set of issues or ways that it gets presented compared to anything else that people might work on with equity definitely it leaves yeah. people in a very vulnerable position to be able to express the fact that they are facing uh food insecurity or having issues with health equity. Um, and so anyone who, who decides to look for our resources is already coming out of vulnerable position to ask for help. Right. Okay. Well, I will be asking you a little bit more about what you and your team have been doing over the past semester and some of the things that you hope to do over the, the upcoming semester. But before we do that, just to give um, any viewers who might not be as familiar with these topics a, a baseline or um, a starting point, um, what do you, I guess, let, let's talk about what food insecurity and health equity um, really means. Like, let's, let's kind of give some definition to those ideas. So for you, I, a, a question that I have is, what, what do you think the average university student imagines when they're asked about, um, quote unquote, food insecurity or health equity? And, and obviously, there's necessarily such thing as the, like, the typical student or the average student at any university because people come from so many different educational or cultural backgrounds. But for the sake of the question, what do you think the, the typical person on campus understands these, these terms to mean? Definitely. Um, the first thing that I think of as a student with privilege of not having to face food insecurity is the fact that we give, we're given this image that when you enter university, that you're going to be eating ramen for every meal and you're going to be eating uh, these uh, inexpensive, unhealthy foods. Sure. And so that's the first image that you get into uh, food insecurity is that, oh, um, I'm just going to be having to eat unhealthy foods. And that's just the way that all university students are because um, it's hard to balance school and work as everyone knows. Um, but that's not the same image all students have. Um, as a student, like I said, I have the privilege of being able to work and live at home. Um, so for students that are coming from lower income or uh, have disabilities or so forth, uh, this image of food insecurity is a day-to-day -day thing. Food insecurity for the average university student, like I said, is um, imagine yourself eating a lot of unhealthy foods. Whereas for our most vulnerable students, it means not eating at all um, mm. or not having adequate access to uh, purchase healthier foods and falling into that trope of unhealthy just because you're simply not able to afford it. Whereas for myself, eating unhealthy foods is a choice and it just so happens that they're cheaper and I do have access to funds to purchase healthier foods. Um, so it's, it's a really mixed bag depending on who you ask as you recognized at the beginning of your question. Okay. Uh, I guess as, as an extension of that, are there any, based on your experience and based on the things you see or whatever you know, do you think there are any important misconceptions that people might hold that you'd like to provide clarification for? Yeah, like, as I said, food insecurity 
doesn't mean just eating unhealthy foods. Mm. It means either going without or not getting an adequate amount of calories in order to produce enough energy to participate in either your studies or work or the number of activities that are involved in the average busy student's uh, um, kind of schedule, I guess. Is the sure, word. yeah, yeah, of um, course. So that, that in itself is a huge misconception. It's not just about eating unhealthy, it's not having access. And that's something that our group wants to, to discuss is how to adequately use what you have in order to get yourself um, what you need for your body. Um, and so that means uh, finding cheaper alternatives to healthier foods like farmer's markets or food banks or uh, getting grants in order to be able to have enough money. Um, and our group is there to, to help students find these resources that are available to you because there is so many things available. It's just the most students that do face food insecurity don't have enough time in order to find these resources or adequately apply for grants or something like that when you've always learned how to run on empty and it hasn't been a huge part of, uh, of your day-to-day -day life is because you just assume that you're not going to get adequate amount of food and you just have to live with it, which is not the case. And our group seeks to fill kind of that, that void, I guess. Okay, and to, to I guess give a look, shed a little more light on the, the types of people that are affected by issues such as food insecurity or the types of people that faced health equity related um, challenges. Are there any factors that you can identify of food insecurity or maybe some of the, the long-term health impacts of food insecurity as well, just to give context to why these issues are important and what consequences they may face if um, left for a long period of time? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first thing that you can think of is the 12 social determinants of health. Um, so this kind of covers social status, um, education, employment, uh, physical environments, and so forth. And when you look at those different kind of topics and who falls under um, being disadvantaged in those areas, you typically find BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and disabled populations, as they tend to be overrepresented in our poor communities. And so from there, you can look into the concept of food deserts. And this is essentially areas that are highly concentrated in kind of convenience stores that uh, shoot up the prices for typical items such as like milk, eggs, and so forth, and then bombard you with lower uh, priced items um, that are unhealthy options. And these tend to be the closest to you. And then you have to move farther and farther away from your home in order to get to grocery stores that have a variety of options. And this leads people to have to use public transportation um, or other alternative methods of getting there, um, which are harder for, let's say, our disabled community. Um, taking public transit is a hard enough battle for them and then add the addition of trying to take groceries onto the bus. As a fully able person, that in itself is a task for me each week. And so to imagine not being able to uh, have my fully able body in order to do that 
makes it even harder. And then you don't speak about the people who have disabilities that aren't able to take the bus. Um, so those with, um, with anxiety, um, maybe even depression or lack of motivation. Um, and it, there's, uh, it's just such a barrier. And then when you look at BIPOC and LGBTQ plus communities, they tend to live in those poor communities and having to make the same kind of uh, transition over to like other areas in order to get groceries. And then you have to incorporate this in your work day. You have to incorporate this with your school. And it just, there's just so many different barriers in order to do something that's easy for majority of people. I can walk to a grocery store 10 minutes from me. But when I lived in downtown Oshawa, let's say, it was a 20 bus, 20 uh, minute bus ride in order to get there. And that was very hard for my family. Um, meanwhile, the food bank was right across the street from where we lived, where we lived in downtown Oshawa. So it was a lot easier to go there than a grocery store. And then as we started the podcast, to go to a place like a food bank is a sore topic or um, put somebody at a vulnerable position in order to, to be able to do that. To, to wrap it all up, not everyone has the same access to food and it's a lot harder for, for those marginalized groups. Mm. Yeah, you've done a really good job of highlighting some of the, the financial and transportation related factors of um, accessibility, especially in terms of um, being able to access a, an establishment that distributes food or just the idea of getting, being able to get your hands on groceries, which many people normally take for granted. Would you say that these are the same types of challenges faced by um, university students and particularly, particularly students at Ontario Tech, or are there different challenges that are more prominent for the university, the community of uh, undergraduate students? Absolutely. Uh, we do face similar issues in terms of our campuses. Um, both of them are heavily, heavily in places with fast food. Um, we're given discounts at those places. So then it's more appealing to go get unhealthy food and then that bill racks up. Um, on the downtown campus that I speak of, I'm not too sure about the north, we don't have access to a refrigerator or um, we do have access to a oven with the Indigenous Center, but most students don't know about that. Um, so your real only tools of cooking while on campus is a microwave and sometimes a kettle if you're lucky. Um, and both of those items tend to only work for unhealthy foods. And so it's harder for students that are in class all day to be able to organize what they're going to eat. And it's a lot easier just to go around the corner to Tim Hortons and pick yourself up a bagel. Mm. But not all students have access to funds in order to do that. And so it's a lot easier just to go hungry and then eat once you get home and then you're skipping meals. And mm. that's not the best when you're talking about the amount of energy that has to go into lectures or participating in your courses adequately. And so it, it in itself is harder. And then you look at resident students and um, they, they have access to the cafeteria, yes, but what happens when it's closed on holidays or after hours, you have to make sure that you adequately stock your fridge or your, your res in order to be able to accommodate for those times. 
Um, and those items tend to be unhealthy ones because it's a lot easier to store those, especially in suites that don't contain a uh, refrigerator or a mini fridge or people do, who don't have enough money to purchase those items. Um, and then you fall into a rabbit hole of eating unhealthy or not having access to any food until uh, the cafe is back open. Um, so we do have a similar struggle. It's just a slightly different one. And from what you've described, it sounds like it even it expands beyond the the concept of maybe not being able to buy particular materials or groceries because they are um, financially they're not practical. But it goes beyond that to even access to facilities or specific types of equipment that would enable you to even take advantage of those kinds of groceries if you were to get your hands on them. Mm -hmm. um, our group has been talking a lot about how, what in what capacity could we as students advocate for a, a community fridge or to have more access to the indigenous sector in order to use our fully functioning uh, kitchen because we don't want to encroach on somebody else's space and, and use the resources they have available to them. Um, but we do, they, they're willing to, to use those resources with us. Um, but it's a lot harder to enter a space that you've never been in before. And so we're trying to unpack, okay, why do students feel like they can't go into the indigenous center? Is, does this stem from um, not using the resources that are available to them? Um, or do they simply not know about it? And that goes the same for the North Campus. So in hopes, we hope maybe there's a way to get a refrigerator in downtown campus in order for people to bring actual meals to campus. And that, mm. that would be amazing. But again, that takes away from profits from the, the shop that's currently in, in Charles, right? And so you get into this weird kind of gray area where if we're allowed to bring our own food and have a refrigerator, does this then take away profits from the university as they are a convenient source of food, right? Um, very interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, and, and to, I guess, expand on that a little bit further or to take that, that thread of conversation um, a little bit further down the line, it sounds, I think, to, to anyone who's listening now and having these kinds of conversations, it could easily appear that oh, if you were to install a community fridge, it would solve so many problems or it would it would be one massive, It was it's such an easy thing that would be such a, a large step in, in terms of progress. But are there, I was wondering if you could highlight some more of the, the arguments against having something like a community fridge or reasons why people might be opposed to installing that or some of the logistical issues that might be involved because otherwise I think um, a question that people might be having is why other than financial the, the potential for financial profits or are there many reasons for not having a community fridge on campus definitely um so the first thing I can think of and why I wouldn't uh put something in something like that is that you're not guaranteed your food will still be there and um for somebody facing in food insecurity and there's a fridge stocked with food and you haven't ate for the last day, it's very easy just to snag somebody else's lunch. Um, and no, uh, that's not a critique on somebody who does that. It, it might be the only way for you to eat that day. And, and for that, um, you can't knock them for doing it. Um, but that might be the reality for some university students that they don't wanna put their food in there because it's easily taken. 
you also run into the fact of sanitization. So you're having people put their food in there. What for people with extreme allergies, are you saying that they're not able to use the fridge because we can't stop students from bringing, let's say, fish and some people are allergic to that. And then you have uh, everyone in the same space as well. Something like this, if it's a student initiative, shouldn't be cleaned by our janitorial staff because it's not a part of their, their position. So then you take on the question of, well, then who's, whose role is it to clean out the fridge and making sure that it's a, a good enough space for students to be able to use, as well as what do you do with lunches that have been in there for a while and haven't been ate? Do you then remove them, but it's somebody else's property? So there's a lot of either legal or janitorial questions that need to be answered in order to do that. And then once you answer all those questions, let's say, who's to say that students are actually going to be using it and not afraid of putting things in there or just um, simply going with the way that they've always been in terms of bringing like dry foods or uh, unhealthy foods instead of adapting to using that fridge because if not a, a lot of students are using it that that privilege might be taken away and then you can't uh, adequately plan for the day of eating if you have this worry that maybe that resource will eventually go away and so it there's a ton of questions and those are the ones that we've had discussions about in our in our group even if the university who's to say the university would even allow for us to do something like that, even to, to test it out on a smaller campus like downtown, let's say, where everyone knows everyone else. And that, that of the two campuses, it would be the easiest to do kind of a test of something like this. Who's to say the university will allow for us to do it and how much uh, paperwork it would take and then doing all that for students not to use it. Definitely a complex issue. Exactly. Not as simple as, oh, let's let's buy some new hardware. It would solve all of our problems. Um, well, in, in light of this conversation or going off of this, based on your experience, are there any kinds of initiatives um, made in order to approach the problem of food insecurity that have been particularly effective in either the past two years or past two years or maybe the past um, decade? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, food drives are always a number one kind of thing um, because we, we tend to do food drives for homeless shelters or food banks. And those initiatives tend to happen during the holidays in which everyone is looking to do something like that. But as we know, food expires. And so for everyone to choose the holidays for initiatives like this is kind of a waste of resources because those food banks are over overwhelmed during the holidays from everyone giving and giving. And it's amazing that we have so many people willing to give, but the time of year that we tend to focus these initiatives like food banks, um, tend to be times where food banks don't need the food. Um, and so uh, initiatives like that, I would love to see during the summer or during times in which shelters are more vulnerable, um, which tends to be spring, summer, um, in those times that aren't heavily uh, with the holidays uh, included in them, as well as students are unaware of services that are currently available to them on campus, like student uh, awards and aid, financial aid, which will uh, give stu some students uh, gift cards in order to be able to purchase food. Um, and 
that initiative within itself is a great one, but it does have challenges because you can't keep giving the same students these gift cards and awards in order to make sure that they're adequately able to feed themselves. So then you're not addressing the actual problem, you're only addressing the symptom. And mm -hmm. so it's a, a cycle of asking for, for help, but then uh, you're not changing anything from there. And so uh, it just reminds me like of, uh, of the saying, uh, you could teach, uh, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day where if you teach him uh, how to fish, uh, he can feed himself for a lifetime. Now, based on something, based on the, the quote, the quotation you've just given us, I want to take the opportunity to ask you, maybe this will be a chance for you to talk a little bit about what you and your team have been doing, or maybe you would prefer to elaborate on something you've seen um, another group doing or another kind of initiative you've heard about. But are there any, are there any kinds of work that you've observed being done that is meant to target some of these more underlying issues? We do have a, uh, a kind of, I don't want to say farm, um, but kind of a community garden, I guess, uh, with the OT Go Green group in which they grow different kind of uh, produce and then donate it throughout the year, which is amazing since they don't uh, kind of uh, pick one time of the year, they kind of do it throughout the year and it the produce depends on what uh, what season it is. And I think that's a great initiative because it's not focusing on the holidays and it has to do with fresh produce. And those tend to be items that uh, shelters and food banks tend to be missing is fresh produce because it's a lot harder for them to store and to keep year round. Um, so you need to be uh, kind of scheduling your donations to be weekly or bi-weekly um, in order to give them uh, access to fresh produce instead of uh, frozen. So uh, I've been following the Go Green team. I love everything that they're doing in terms of uh, currently they, they sell a lot of honey. And uh, as somebody who drinks honey in almost everything, I love mm. this initiative where they jar their own honey, they sell it. Uh, I'm not too sure about the profits. I believe it just goes back to campus sustainability. And then from there, uh, they fund initiatives like um, their donation of food items to various food banks. Um, but they're a great team to keep out, uh, keep an eye on uh, when it comes to food insecurity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, ranging from things like community fridges to things like having a university jar their own honey, are there any other maybe niche initiatives that, um, that related to health equity and food insecurity that you've heard of? Or anything that might be of, of particular interest to you lately? Something you think is less common compared to something like a, a food bank or a food drive, for example? One thing that we don't tend to talk about when it comes to health equity especially is, uh, is feminine products um, and how not only there, anyone can menstruate and it does, it's not pertaining to one gender. And so one thing that I've seen at our university, especially that I think, uh, I, I'm not too sure which group does it and which group continues to stock it, um, but a great initiative that I've been seeing is putting feminine products in all washrooms and having these available for anyone who menstruates. And um, this, 
this it seems like a very small initiative, but for somebody who does use these products, it's very easy to forget them. And then when you forget them, it's it ruins your entire day because you're mm. looking for these products in order to be able to adequately participate in your courses, your classes. And that's coming from somebody who is cisgender. Then you look at non-binary and trans individuals who menstruate. It's a lot harder than to go to um, to uh, to somebody and ask them for these products um, because we, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about that menstruating isn't just for one gender, but it can be genderless. Um, and so that barrier stops students from being able to adequately participate in the rest of their day because they have to go find them. Um, and you can talk about this with um, all gender washrooms as well. Um, for somebody who is trans or non-binary or simply does not want to be uh, in a gendered washroom, um, you have to find an all-gender washroom. And so um, I believe we currently have, um, I want to say five between the two campuses, um, and they don't get enough uh, enough publicity. I guess. Not publicity, but they're not known enough uh, between students in order to be able to find them. And when you need them, you really do need them. And so uh, they need to be better uh, better communicated to students that these are available for you. Um, I believe we don't even have one in the, the 61 Charles Street. So that means that you have to do uh, a five to 10 minute run to one of the other buildings in order to, to get access to that. And again, that's one thing that can ruin an entire day for a student and set you back in terms of deadlines and so forth. Um, mm. So that's one challenge that we have at the university that is beginning to be addressed, especially using um, all gender washrooms or providing menstruation products for all students. Um, but it's a topic that definitely needs to be discussed more. Definitely. And from what you've described, it sounds like when we're talking about accessibility, it isn't necessarily just a question of making certain facilities or resources um, available or, or making or having them exist on campus. But there is also a, um, a fact, and it's, there's also a factor of advertisement and promotion. Um, and yet, it isn't just a question of um, publicity as well, or publicity either. So. Would you say that it's accurate to describe this challenge as being um, a balance or a balancing act between making the resources in the facilities available and making sure that they exist on campus and also helping raise awareness about them? Yeah, definitely. Um, the university in itself has done an amazing job as it comes to food insecurity and health equity. But the issue with it is students don't know about it. And it's a lot harder to expect students to do the research uh, to find the, these different kind of resources on, on campus when they don't have time. They simply just do not have time. If I showed you my Google Calendar, you'd be like, where does all your time go? It's in class, it's in uh, activities, it's uh, in future career um, kind of preparation and uh, and so your day can, especially with us at home, my day can look from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. some nights. And that's in, just in front of a computer. And so then a student who's facing uh, food insecurity or health inequity, 
try to find that it fit that in the day um and it, it's a lot harder and then you talk about exhaustion and fatigue um especially when it comes to long days like those um students just don't have the time or the effort in order to make sure and so it it's easy to let those things slip and be able to take those things for advantage but what we need to recognize is when you do let things like food insecurity let's say slip it affects your mental health um you get a lot stressed a lot faster um and you can't adequately participate in class or in your research or anything that you're doing with the university if you're not addressing these issues and then it leads back to mental health as well and you fall into this vicious cycle and then you don't understand why everything's happening and so I believe all students should should take a step back and evaluate um, okay these are the issues that I have and then what are the overarching problems that stem from these issues that I have and one thing could be food insecurity and um, not adequately giving yourself healthy alternatives in order to kind of uh, help with different issues such as like stress or anxiety because some of those uh, symptoms can be um, kind of mitigated by a healthier diet um, at a very lower level some of them have to deal with diet others have to do with being medicated and that fits into uh, health equity okay now, based on what you've just described and what we've been talking about for the past few minutes, you've highlighted a lot of the, the obstacles to um, receiving help or accessing resources related to food security or health equity as a, as a larger topic. You've talked about things from the, I guess, the financial cost of accessing um, healthy food options. You've talked about uh, the, the transportation-related challenges for individuals with disabilities. And you've also touched on some of the the social aspects of things and how people might find themselves uncomfortable and going out of their way to access these resources. And, and, and on top of that, you've talked about something that I think everyone can relate to, which is the, um, the seemingly or the, the limited amount of time that everyone has in a day to do any given number of tasks. So from your perspective, would you say that these are the largest obstacles to making progress with um, reducing food insecurity or promoting health equity? Or would you say that there are, there are other important obstacles that you'd like to highlight? The first and foremost uh, issue with this on campus is first of all, education and that pertains to either uh, your own kind of what you need for health um, and secondly how to find these resources and so you, if you answer those first two questions um, and kind of do some research on your own then you kind of it trickles down into looking at different obstacles like we said with marginalized people but we first have to educate the general um, university body in order to find those little niches that fit within our university campus. Um, so uh, that might mean that we have a large amount of BIPOC individuals who are facing this 
okay, so then we need to specify uh, particular programs that uh, target that demographic, or let's say um, our disabled folks on campus don't have adequate access with to mental health, let's say. Um, we need to target that niche. And so that comes with educating the general public to be able to recognize those in themselves, but also in their classmates and being able to uh, help each other out as we are a community at Ontario Tech. We are a smaller university. That means that with that, we have the responsibility of being a community that cares for each other. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, what you said is adequate. Um, we do just need to build off that education piece and caring about health equity first before we're able to um, deep into those problems that are currently existing. Mm. Yeah, and you touched on the the idea that as a as an undergraduate student at the university, you are not kind of an isolated being or and you're not kind of localized to maybe your friend group or the classes you're part of but you are a, a member of a larger community and that involves people who both are maybe immediately affected by food insecurity and health equity related issues as well as the people who maybe don't feel like they um this has been a, a, as much of a prominent part of their life but for for those who are in a, a place of opportunity and for those who are in a place of security, what um, what steps can you recommend that they take in order to become more informed and in order to take action to help? Yeah, definitely. Um, the first thing that I would suggest for any student, again, is to first recognize the situation that you're currently in. Um, so that might be you're in a place of privilege where you're able to work and be able to uh, fend for yourself um, and then expand to your your circle. Um, does everyone in my circle have adequate resources or do they maybe need some help in, in a few places? And then you expand to your community. Um, so as a member of the Ontario Tech community, do I see everyone in my community having the same resources as me? And that answer simply is no. Okay, so what do I do from there? Um, the first thing that I would suggest is, and this is a self-plug, is to check out the health equity and food insecurity group and see what we're doing. What events are we putting on? Or uh, what kind of resources are we making available to you? And just being informed of what we're doing. Um, there will also kind of, uh, it's in the works right now of making kind of a equity resource kind of, webpage uh, through the university um, to have access to uh, workshops and different things that we're currently doing. Um, and so uh, being aware is the first, first first step in order to be able to make recommendations to your, your, your peers or to your friends or even to your family because then it stems to your community as well. And as I said uh, previously, my idea came from the homeless population in our in, in Oshawa. So that's kind of where if somebody wants to be more informed and take more action, is kind of make that logical uh, step from myself to my friends, to my community, to Oshawa, to Durham, and so forth, if this is something that you're truly interested in. Um, but some people might not be um, wanting to take it at the level that I am. Um, so 
the one action is just look at the resources available on campus. Are you using them? Your tuition pays for them. So that's something that you should take a deep dive into, as well as the Health Equity and Food Insecurity Group will be working with the anti-ableism group in order to see if it's feasible for us to create a food bank for the Ontario Tech student base. So that's something to look for as well. Hmm. Okay, and I'll, I'll ask you again at the end, but are there, uh, where exactly can students um, learn more about your group or get updates about the types of activities or initiatives that you've been working on? Is there um, a social media page or um, an email newsletter? Uh, we currently don't have either of those, but uh, we do uh, put a lot of our work onto the Student Life kind of website. Uh, so that's studentlife.ontariotechu.ca. Uh, we fit under the equity and inclusion kind of sector. And then from there, you can look at groups and workshops. And a lot of the things that we do are going to be encompassed in there. So that could be discussion groups or uh, one group is putting together a book club um, and so forth. So that's definitely something to look out for. Okay. And in terms of what you and your, your team are hoping to accomplish over the next semester, is there anything in particular that you can tease or you can um, have people look forward to as we, as we enter into a, a, new, a new year? Yeah. So one thing is that we're going to for February, we're going to be talking about the freshman 15 and kind of debunking that as a, that is a myth and that's something that we need to talk more about as university students is healthy weight gaining and normalizing it. Um, we're also going to be, again, working with the anti-ableism group to see if there's a way to create a food bank on campus. We're going to be adding more to the equity resource library, which I found now is currently live on that equity inclusion webpage mm. on student life. So I would definitely right. direct anyone there. It touches on topics of sexual violence or self-care, um, health equity, feminism, anti-racism and so forth. So um, that's resources from um, all different equity groups and for you to find um, an easy way to digest these topics instead of looking for them on your own. Um, so yeah. That's something to look for. All right. And as a final kind of formal question, and this is more, this isn't necessarily a question of objectively which resources are the most successful or which ones um, have the have the deepest historical roots. But just as a question for you personally, what would you say are your um, your top three resources that um, you think have been really great or that um, you've been really excited to see either on our campus or somewhere else in the in the community of Oshawa or maybe Durham region. So your, your personal, your top three. Um, the first and foremost one that I'm super excited for is that Oshawa itself is getting a farmer's market, a all year round farmer's market. And that's number one, because it's right next to downtown campus. So students are able to get fresh produce at any time of the year, which is amazing. Uh, the second one, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention the uh, student awards and financial aid because they currently do so much work and so much into uh, helping students that are facing these issues along with uh, campus sustainability. Um, and third and foremost is uh, we do uh, put a lot of our work onto the student life kind of website. 
Uh, so that's studentlife.ontariotechu.ca. Uh, we fit under the equity and inclusion kind of sector. And then from there, you can look at groups and workshops. And a lot of the things that we do are going to be encompassed in there. So that could be discussion groups or uh, one group is putting together a book club um, and so forth. So that's definitely something to look out for. Angelique Dack, thank you so, so much for joining us on today's episode of Road to Equity. It was exciting beyond words to have you on as a guest. Thank you for giving us your insight and being and speaking from, from your experience as an equity advocate. It was so great to have you on. Thank you for having me. And I enjoy the podcast so much. So it was amazing to be on. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, Art, do you have any last words or anything else you might want listeners to know about? Stay tuned to our group. It's not going away. We'll be back next semester as well. Uh, so just check out the different kind of things that we're doing and maybe look out for a community fridge in the uh, near future. Um, so. Exciting things coming in the new year. 2021, we can't make any more jokes about vision and how oh, this is the year for, for perfect vision. Angelique, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of Road to Equity. Uh, this is a reminder that there are resources for you to use in order to get help and get support, and also in order to get educated and to learn a little bit more on your own. So please don't hesitate to check out the episode description to learn more. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will be airing next month. And you can find more information on the Student Life social media page for Ontario Tech's Student Life Department at OT underscore Student Life. So have a great day, have a great week, and I can't wait to see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. To find more resources, head to ontariotechu.ca forward slash equity or log on to the Student Life Portal. To find more information and keep up to date on events, services, and the next episode release of Road to Equity, follow us at OT underscore Student Life on Instagram and Twitter. Have a great day, and let's ride down the road to equity together.